0: Afternoon, everybody. And if you could turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel 28, that would be great. And we're coming to the story that Sam, uh, I think Sam is a bit jealous he wanted this one. But I don't know who texted him to say that I uh, had to do something different last week. But anyway, I've got it. And it's Saul and uh, the witch of Endor. Um, which sounds pretty dark, and Sam's alluded to that over the past couple of weeks. And it is pretty dark. It starts off dark, and it ends dark. But hopefully, as we go through the chapter, and hopefully see some light at the end of the tunnel, and learn some lessons that we can apply in our own lives. So let's read chapter 28. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Akish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I'll make him my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came to the and set up camp at Shenem, while Saul gathered all at Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim, or prophets. Saul then said to the attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said. And bring me up the one that I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know that Saul is done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritus from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then a woman asked, who shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams, so I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he'd eaten nothing all that day and all night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant, and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way." He refused and said, I I will not eat. But his men joined him in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, and she butchered it at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked some bread without yeast. Then she said it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That night they got up and left. Quite, uh, quite heavy chapter. I think that uh, the already prayed, but I think I'll pray again before doing this one. <laughs> Just bow heads. Father, well, this really is a dark time in the life of you know, both Saul and David, and uh, you know you put it in the Bible for a reason, God. And it's not so that we can look away from it and think, "Well, I'm, I'm not like Saul." And there's nothing I can learn from it. You've put it there for us to get something out of it, God. And I do pray as we go through this chapter uh, that you can just guide me in finding the lessons that we're supposed to learn from this. In his son's name, amen. 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 Right, so the last chapter is all about David. This one's about Saul. Well, almost all of it. And the first few verses sets, uh, sets a scene. Oh, I've got my clicker. Yes, it's working. So in 1 Samuel 28.1, it says, In those days, the Philistines gathered the forces to fight against Israel. So here we are, it's seen as the battle, the day before the battle between the Philistines and Israel. And as a story unfolds, which is Saul's story, the writer reminds us in the first few verses that where David's at, you know, David's actually with the Philistine army. Now, he's an Israelite, but he's actually with the enemy. And it opens up with this kind of strange conversation that he has with uh, Akish. Ho- hopefully I've pronounced that right. I'm sure if you haven't me let me know. Um, Akish who's the leader of the Philistine army. And he's just reminding David, like, no, you do understand, you're on our side now. Um, I know you're an Israelite, but you've joined us. And he's sort of checking his loyalty out. And David gives a sort of an ambiguous response that says, yeah, 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 I, I get this, don't worry, I, I'm with you. And Akish sort of obviously believes it, and it isn't ambiguous because David doesn't actually intend fighting against uh, his own people. But uh, Akish buys it and says he's going to make him bodyguard for life. So David's not in a, not in a good place spiritually uh, or location-wise. So how, how did he get here? How did he end up in this odd predicament. Well, two weeks ago, Sam went through chapter 27. And just a quick recap of that. You know, David has finally snapped. He's got fed up being hunted down by Saul. And in desperation, he starts to make some bad choices, and he runs. And if that wasn't bad enough, where did he run to? The one place where Saul's not going to look for him. Saul's too scared of the Philistines for that. So David runs to the Philistines. And, you know, David's sort of really messed up at this point. And not the first time he's messed up, he's done it on a number of occasions. But at this point, in this dark sort of start to this chapter, it looks like he's heading down the same road as Saul. Or the same road that Saul's been on for a long time. But the main story, that's where we leave David, the main story is about Saul. And so the story switches to the other side of the impending fight. And in verse 4 it says the Philistines assembled and came up. So it starts off the same kind of way, but now it's talking about it from the other side, from the from the Israelite army. And so it sets up the scene, on one side you've got the Israelites, on the other side you've got the Philistines. On one side you've got David, who's on the wrong side of the tracks. So on the other side you've got Saul, who's the bad guy, but on the right side of the tracks. So it's a pretty messed up start. But before we get into the story of the witch of Endor, there's a little um, couple, of, couple of things in... Verse 3, the writer tells us that we're going to need to understand the story. And the first thing is that the prophet Samuel was actually dead. Now that wasn't news, that was already given to us in chapter 25, we already knew this. And also that Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. So these two things are relevant um, for what comes next. I think it's also just reminding us that Samuel being dead and Saul and David completely out to lunch... There's a complete spiritual vacuum in, in Israel and no prophet to, to fill with the spiritual gap. So here, here's Saul. He's about to get attacked by the Philistines. And what's his response? As always, it says he was afraid. But it takes it one step further this time. Terror filled his heart. You now Saul had a history of fear. And many occasions before this, he's got frightened. In fact, both David and Saul have got a history of fear. But there was a, there was a difference. Sometimes David gave in to fear, but a lot of the time he didn't. Saul always gave in to fear. David sometimes grew and was molded by the fear. Saul never learned anything from the fear. So David isn't perfect. And the Bible does say that despite this, he was a man after God's own heart. But on the other hand, Saul, Saul wasn't. And he always, when fear came, he spiraled down the way. And here we are, his fear's increased even more, and we're at the, the terror level. And he's terrified. And what did he do? I mean, it seems like a good thing. It says, he inquired of the Lord. But what was God's response? No answer. No answer. Total Silence. And that leads to my first point, which is, I try to make it rhyme, pray, don't delay. <laughs> and God's silence isn't surprising. I mean, what is surprising? That Saul actually turned to God and expecting God to bail him out after being, you know, just not following what he was told to do, you know, in every previous occasion before this. And if he was terrified before God was silent, um, he must have been beyond terrified. Now, I don't know what the adjective is for after terrified, but whatever it was, that's where, that's where Saul was at. And, you know, there was no response from God, but it's clear from the text that he didn't turn to God as a, as a spiritual man. You know, it was an act of desperation. It wasn't even faithful desperation. It was just Desperation. And he didn't really inquire of the Lord. It says he inquired of the Lord in that, but if you look in 1 Chronicles 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 13, which is looking back, this comes later, it's looking back retrospectively on these events. It actually says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. And it says, he did not inquire of the Lord. Now, it looks like a contradiction, but, you know, every contradiction that appears in the Bible that we think is a contradiction can be explained. And the truth was, it was because the inquiry was not a genuine inquiry when he's doing it in 1 Samuel 28. Now, if you, if you compare this with David, when David inquired of the Lord, I mean, not only did he get an answer, but his, his inquiries were genuine. And we know that, you know, generally, you know, he wanted to get God's help. But mainly, he wanted not just to get God's help, but to do God's will. And we know this from all the previous chapters where David's inquiring of the Lord, when he, the times where he's not off the rails. And also, we just need to look in the book of Psalms, and it's good hearing Sam and Mia go through a bit of that. That's, that's kind of helpful as well. You can see the way that David, David prayed uh, in the book of Psalms, which you know, really shows his attitude. I mean, there isn't a book in the Bible, a book of Saul's prayers. I don't think that'd make very encouraging reading. You know, gimme, gimme, gimme. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, if David is so good at inquiring of God, then why is David at this particular time not with the israelite army about to, why is he at the back of the philistine army about to, so it seems like uh, a little bit of a contradiction there but if we go back to what sam was talking about two weeks ago in chapter 27 and go back to the beginning of chapter 27 chapter 27 verse 1 it starts off it says but david thought to himself and then it says one of these days i'll be destroyed by the hands of saul and explains what he was thinking to himself you know, it doesn't say David inquired of the Lord. It says David thought to himself. It doesn't even say that David prayed for God to, you know, for help or to re- reveal his will. All he did was think to himself. And uh, I know how things go in my life when all I do is think to myself. And I think you all know how things go. If all we do is just think to ourselves, then we can get into our thoughts and it can become very negative and that can get very dark when we don't think, what would God want me to do? And you, know, you can think, what would God want me to do, but there's also a couple of other ways of doing that. And obviously one of them is praying, for what does God want me to do? And it, when we pray, it can't just be telling God that uh, you know, a series of wants, you know, insisting that we get it, like this was Saul's approach to prayer, just give me, give me, give me. And you know, it has to be like David with an attitude of, uh, you know, okay, I would like this, but what do you want me to do in this situation? And if you want to see how to do this, then as I said, Book of Psalms is a, the perfect place to look at how David really implored of God and wasn't just wanting things, but wanted to actually put into practice what God's will for was in his life. Not at this point, but that's because he didn't do that. He thought to himself. And so, the first point is we can get get from the text, even though it is a dark text, is to remind us to pray and don't delay. Anyway, back to the story. And, as I said, this wasn't a genuine request for God to direct him. I and mean, we know this also by what he did next. And what did he do next? I mean, what was his uh, great plan, his great idea? Um, inquire of a witch instead of inquiring of God. Now that's a bit dramatic because obviously the text also says medium, but uh, witch or medium or cult, you know, it still wasn't a good move. And it wasn't a good move for a, you know a couple of reasons. I mean, firstly, he's a he's king of Israel; he's God's anointed. He's just trying to get help from God. That doesn't work. So instead of trying again, whatever, he, he turns to the occult. And he, knows, and he knows this is wrong. Common sense would tell you that, but he doesn't need that. He knows the law. He knows what he's supposed to do. And there's a couple of verses. I won't go through them all, but just the first one from Leviticus 19.31. It says, Do not turn to spiritualists or mediums. Do not seek them out or be defiled by them. I am the Lord. And there's loads of other scriptures that make this really clear. You know, he wasn't just panicking and making a mistake. He was just completely going against what God has said. But there's another problem. Um, He's expelled all the the spirituals and mediums from the land. So one of the good things that he actually did earlier on is coming back to him. So if they'd actually all gone, he'd be stuck. So he's actually made it hard for himself to find one. But obviously he hasn't done a great job because it says they do find one but he's got yet another problem the the philistine army is over here and israelite army is over here but over here is where the witch is so he's actually got to go around the philistine army to actually get i mean he was really desperate to get to this medium and then it gets you know he's he's really just pushing his luck so he knows he doesn't want to be recognised so he disguises himself and he travels at night he doesn't want to be recognised by the medium either because if she sees it's King Saul the person who's expelled all these people, then she's going to think she's going to get executed so here we have this kind of ludicrous scene where Saul arrives at the house of a medium, disguised in the middle of the night and what does he ask for? He says, consult a spirit for me and bring up the one that I name. And it's interesting here in the original language, the verb to consult is the same word used in chapter 15, verse 23. Where it says, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. So God's actually comparing this disobedience, this rebellion, to actually going to the, you know, the occult, going to a medium. And it's ironic that saul's ended up you know his disobedience has ended up actually literally consulting a medium so it's no longer just a play of words he's actually he's actually doing it but before she before he goes any further she has got her suspicions and uh, she doesn't recognize saul at this stage but she does think it's kind of like a sting operation where she's going to get tumbled and she might be in trouble and then saul digs an even bigger deeper hole for himself he he swears by the lord that she won't be punished you know something else that you know God says clearly you don't do. He actually swears, but the, the law says that she should be punished, she should be executed, and Saul's going against that and saying, "No, you you, you won't get punished, and I, I'll swear by that, swear by the Lord." And in a big reveal, who does Saul want to bring back from the dead? Samuel. And at this point, Samuel does appear. I found a nice picture of that. If that's dark enough for you. <laughs> And now uh, look, the text doesn't say how he appeared. And look, uh, there, are, there are a couple of possible explanations for this. And I think before we sort of finish the story, can't can't kind of leave that hanging and explain what the possibilities are. Either this medium genuinely can bring people back from the dead, uh, which is unlikely, but the Bible doesn't say that couldn't happen. Satan has intervened, perhaps. Maybe it's Satan They're causing this apparition of... Uh, of Samuel to appear, and it's just one of his schemes. Or maybe God has intervened, and actually taken a situation that is clearly wrong, going to consult a medium, but brought something good out of it. And perhaps he was silent before when Samuel wanted an answer, but now he's saying, okay, you want want an answer? Here's the answer. And Samuel goes on to give him one last message. And to me, that's the explanation that seems most likely. I think it was God. And partly because of medium, didn't say the medium did anything, it just said Samuel appeared. Secondly, she's actually more surprised, well Samuel, Saul's not surprised, he was expecting it, but she, she gets freaked out, she gets a surprise. And I think it reminds me of the, the movie Ghost, hopefully you've seen that, where, where Whoopi Goldberg is the medium, uh, but she's a charlatan, she's just you know, earn, earning some money, it's not real. And all of a sudden, Patrick Swayze turns up, a real ghost, because he's trying to get in touch with uh, Demi Moore, and she just jumps out of her skin. So, you know, without making, making light of the situation, because it is pretty dark, I mean, it also has a bit of humorous side to it. It's probably the first time she's actually seen a real apparition. And thirdly, what Samuel actually says to Saul is a prophecy which comes true. And generally, that's the case in the Bible. It means it's from, it's from God. So let's get back to the story. So Samuel appears and what does he ask Saul? He says, why did you consult me? He reminds Saul, the Lord has departed from you. You know, he's saying, come on Saul, you know, when you didn't listen to me when I was alive. You just didn't listen to God when I was alive. And you're still not going to listen to me now, but you, you, you drag me up from the dead and expect me to make things all, all right. I mean, Saul just goes, makes one mistake after another that's got no logic other than just sheer panic without God on his side. And what does he remind Saul? He says the same thing that he said to him back in chapter 15 when he was alive. And that was because because he didn't destroy the Amalekites, that not only Saul, but his two sons are going to be dead the next day in battle. And the Philistines were going to win the battle. Saul was looking for a way out and he tried everything he could think of and now he realises he gets the last, the last message that he gets from God. Nothing he can do, the game is totally up and he just collapses in a heap with fear. And it's a really sad situation, he almost feels sorry for him the mess that he's got himself into and there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. And I said it gets darker, and everything that he's done just makes the situation darker than it's been before. So what are the things that we can learn from this the story? Okay, we've had pray, don't delay. Uh, the next thing I think we can learn, and I've got two, two out of three to rhyme. The third one doesn't rhyme, so don't get excited. <laughs> Obey, don't stray. You know, what was Saul's basic problem? At the end of the day, he he consulted a medium. He disobeyed God. And this was just, you know, in a series of repetitive actions throughout the whole of 1 Samuel, throughout his life, that he didn't get what he wanted, disobedience. You know, like a spoiled child. And we can say, look, you know, I'm not like Saul. You know, if, if Saul, if God spoke to me directly... Or if one of the prophets came and spoke to me. Or, you know, if someone comes up to me, you know, an old, old Testament prophet and tells me something, then I'm sure going to do it. But lately, um, God's not whispered anything in my ear. And I don't remember anyone coming up in a shabby old uh, raincoat and giving me a, 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 advice that looks like an Old Testament prophet. And uh, that's, that's not entirely true. Because, you know, as we know, we may not get that experience. But God has spoken to us. And he's spoken to us in a way that's clear for anybody to see, the Bible. And before I became a Christian, you know, I I lived according to my own rules. And I did what, I decided what I thought was right and wrong. And the cliche captain of my my own destiny, master of my own fate, uh, though my destiny and fate uh, never seemed to take in the direction I was intending. But I was definitely in charge, but more like in charge of the captain of the the Titanic. (laughs) And then somebody invited me to church one day, uh, many years ago, and it prompted me to do something that I'd never done before, which was read the Bible. You know, and as an atheist, I'd never, and I'd been an atheist, I was 29 at the time, been an atheist for years. I'd never read the Bible, and to be honest, I was expecting something else to happen I was reading the Bible I was expecting some kind of mysterious event some kind of sign or something I'd hear a voice, you know, like Paul did you know, Jim, Jim, why do you persecute me? (laughs) But I I sat there day after day waiting for something and nothing happened but then I realised that God was talking to me directly you know, through what I was reading, through the Bible we don't need to have God talking to us personally and have prophets come up to us we've got the Bible, that was the point of it and gradually I started, to do, started doing what it said. In other words, didn't think about it at the time, but I started to obey, but I didn't think about obedience because you know, obedience is an interesting topic. I'm a teacher and I expect, you know, I deal with obedience every day in my job. I expect the kids to obey me. Some of the time they do, but some they don't. And we, we are okay dealing with obedience in the life. You know, if Mark McGowan says stay home because of COVID, we'll, we'll stay home, we'll obey. And, but it come to obeying God, that sounded a bit more sort of creepy and strange. But as I started to change, I realized that I was just changed my life for the better because it seemed like, it seemed right. But it was obedience, it, you know, it just made sense. And as my heart gradually softened, you know, I changed things that I was doing. So, which is basically what we what called repentance. And I did become a Christian. And, you know, but that's not the end of it you know and most of us, most of us here have done that we have become christians and if you haven't you know i do encourage you pick up a bible or better still if you don't know where to start get someone to show you help you plenty of people will be willing to do that if i had done that um all those years ago i would be in a very different place from where i'm at just now and that would not be a good place i'd probably be in a place in a place like saul i think and so for those of us who are Christians, you know, I thought after that point, you know, I'm in. I'm never going to sin again. Um, but as we know, it's not quite like that. Um, you know, we fall. Like Saul, we fall. You know, in a moment of weakness, we slip. And we're tempted. And sometimes we slip again. And we're tempted. And sometimes we stop slipping. And we just slip into something that we know is an area where we're just completely disobeying God. And now it's become deliberate. And this happens, and it, you know, it's happened to David as, as well as Saul. And David did, didn't just have a slight slip. You no, know, he's well and truly fallen. He's with the enemy about to, you know, in a position where he's been pushed into fighting his own people. And God has given us David as an example. You know, someone in the Bible who's regarded as, you know, highly regarded by God, a man after God's own heart. But he's a real person who we can identify with and who we can get hope from you know david slipped but he managed to claw his way back and he's uh, in the next chapter spoiler alert he will claw his way back after this slip but he'll slip again and as Christians we can we can fool ourselves think into thinking well you know i, I know that god exists and as long as i obey some of it you know I, i'll be okay but as well as david's God has given us Saul in this chapter to look at. And this is exactly what Saul did. You know, Saul had this history of partial obedience. Chapter 28 gives an example of that. You know, he obeyed God. He expelled the mediums. But now he's going to consult one of them. Previous chapters. um, He didn't completely destroy the Amalekites like he was told. He partially obeyed. He partially destroyed them. And, you know, we can be that way too. We can sort of obey God and do just enough to look like we're doing the right thing or we can be like Saul as well when you know we do things when people can see us but in in the darkness skulking around at night disguised like Paul did going to consult the medium we can do the exact opposite Mm -hmm. or we can even obey God in some areas of our life but disobey in, in others and, you know, religion, being religious is, is an aspect of that. You know, I had a friend uh, going back uh, many years, and he's still a friend, who left the church. And to, to cut, cut a long story short, he left because he was hurt, not by God, by people. Generally, people leave because they're hurt by other people and forget that we're all sinners and do hurt each other. But he still wanted some religion in his life. He still wanted to have that sort of feeling like he's got some sort of connection with, with God. So he still goes to a church and he, he found a church that um, partially obeys God and you can find a place to go to. There's many different groups and you can find a group that to go to where it will let you continue to live your, your life the way that you want to and won't infringe too much of, upon how you want to live your life. That will interpret the Bible in a way that not quite true, but gives you enough to make you feel like you're doing the right thing. And he can do a few pious routines, and you can think, you know, that's enough, you know, God understands. And, you know, the the crazy thing was, he, he hasn't, this guy who I was talking about, he hasn't even convinced himself that he's doing the right thing. I've had conversations with him, not that many, because he doesn't like to talk about it that much, where he'll look me in the eye and tell me that he's compromising, tell me he's not in obedience. And Just looking at him, telling me this stuff, when he knows he's not doing the right thing. He's not even self-deceived. And I say, well, well, why do you keep on doing it? he says, well, one day I'll talk to the minister, which you know is never going to happen. So he's just putting it off and giving himself a feeling that he's, you know, okay with God. And he's self-deceived because he never dealt with the issues. You know, like Saul, you know, like David, he he ran away. But unlike David so far, um, he hasn't come back yet. And he's blinded as time goes on by his bitterness whatever to whatever caused him to run away in the first place and now he's in partial disobedience to god which is no better than no disobedience no obedience at all and as time goes on his heart is just getting harder and harder and it it is scary watching and i hope one day look he comes to his senses like david does but um you know god is patient god was patient with god was patient with saul I mean, right up until this point, God have, could have uh, carried out the, the, the sentence that he said in chapter 15 before this. But anyway, I do hope he comes back. But it, it is a warning to us that, you know, we've got things that de- deal with things. Don't run away. And my last point, and I'll make this a quick one. Hopefully quick. Who is king of you? Sorry, this, this one doesn't rhyme. I, I tried my best. At the end of the day Saul wanted God but he wanted uh, something else, he wanted something else more than he wanted God. He wanted to be king, king of, king of Israel. But he wanted something even, even more than that. He wanted to be king of himself, he wanted to be king of, king of Saul. And here he was, he was a king and king of Israel. And King of Saul, but he was still the King of Israel, and God let him keep that right up until the end. 24, hour, 24 hours later, he's going to be dead, but he will die as King. You know, he got what he wanted in life. But what he also got with that, he spent the last years of his life anxious, fearful, messed up, not at peace with himself, and certainly not at peace with God, and it didn't have, didn't have to be that way. And here we have this sad scene. He's walking back to the camp to prepare for a battle. A battle which he's, he knows he's going to die. And he's not even running away from that. He's going straight into it. He knows what's going to happen the next day. Walking away from an encounter with a medium, or a witch, whichever way you want to see. After he's been told for the second time that he's got a death sentence. A broken man, a pathetic man. And i didn't go through the last part but but so pathetic that you see at the end the medium actually takes pity on him and gives him a meal and feeds him i mean that's a pretty sad situation the king of israel's got into who should have been expelling the medium putting her to death like it or not that's what the bible says but she's actually feeling sorry for him and feeding him and persuading him along with his men to eat i mean it is a really sad sad end to his life hasn't ended yet but it's going to and we can think, well, you know, I'm not a king, um, but if we disobey God, and what does that mean? It means effectively making yourself king of me, it's the same. I and mean, this is a, an extreme example, and can we, we can even think, look, well, I'm, you know, this is extreme. Saul, he's more like Hitler. You know, I'm Joe Average, but, but are you king of Joe Average? You know, God didn't put this stuff in the Bible about Saul for us to think, well, look, here's a comparison. Thank goodness, I'm not like Saul. You know, Saul was a really bad guy and looking at Saul that makes me feel pretty good about myself because you know I'm nothing like him you know if you start having thoughts like that you know you definitely are on the same road that Saul was on and if you think well yeah I'm more of a David you know I mess up sometimes but I always straighten myself out you know hopefully that's where we are hopefully that's where you're at but that's probably where Saul thought he was at as well and Saul is there as a warning. I mean, it is pretty dark, but it's you know, something that is true. Saul was there as a warning. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, who is king of our life? Is it me or is it God? Is it me some of the time, God some of the time? I mean, it's either one or the other. And how can we, how can we tell? Well, we can't think as we're sitting here, well, I'm okay. I go to church. I even go to a good church. I go to this church. This is a good church. You know, it, it, It's not enough. You know, clearly God has said that with Saul, it is it is not enough. Saul was an Israelite. You know, he was king of Israel, king of God's chosen people. I mean, he had plenty of religion in his life, but it, it wasn't enough. And here he is, you know, about to die the next day for his disobedience. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, who is king of my life? Is it me, or is it God? Is there something in my life where you know, I am making this conscious decision to take over kingship and just plain disobe- disobey, disobey? And how do we know? You know? just to summarize, I mean, it's not rocket science. You know, as I said, inquire of God. You know, pray, don't delay. If you pray, don't just pray, but pray with the attitude of, of David. Don't just think to yourself, but pray, but pray with the right attitude. And second point, obey, don't, don't stray. Look in the Bible. Um, you, know, it's, you don't need God to speak in your ear personally. You don't need an Old Testament prophet. And if it's not clear, um, well you may not, may not like the answer, but if it's really not clear to you, you think it's an area of your life where you're just taken over and you want to control, and you think you might be deceiving yourself, I mean that's why God gave us a, you know, a church, which is not a place to be religious, but a group of people who help each other. You know, ask your friends, ask for advice. Or maybe you don't have to ask them because your friends have already told you something um, time after time after time, and maybe they've stopped stopped telling you about anything. You know, as you are sitting there, you can be thinking, is this something that someone's been telling you? I mean, it could be about a lack of forgiveness. It could be about your marriage. It could be about pride. It could be unrepented, it's a pet unrepented sin that you just got used to, but people can see it. Or perhaps it's something that they can't see, but you know that it's there if we're holding on to something where we're disobeying God and we don't do something about it, if we hold on to, you know, God knows, you know, God, God cannot be mocked. So we, you know, we have to take Saul's example seriously. You know, if we don't continue to examine ourselves you know, over time, you know, like my friend, yeah, you know, our hearts can harden and reach a point where you're beyond reach. And Saul had reached that point, he was beyond reach which is a really scary place to get to. And he had a death sentence the next day. And that's all that was left for God with him. He was beyond reach. And all it got got reminded of from Samuel was God's judgment on the next day. And look, David could have killed Saul earlier on and made his life easier. But he knew he was disobeying God if he did that. And look, he got into other messes where he disobeyed God, but he didn't go down that road no matter how tempting it was. And if he had went down that road, he would have never ended up with the Philistines in this particular chapter because his heart was generally directed towards God. He wasn't perfect, but he always came back. And he left the judgment to God. And that's exactly what God did um, in chapter 28. Saul faced God's judgment. And uh, there there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, There isn't a happy ending for Saul, that is for sure. And I can't pretend there is, but Israel moved on and it got a a new king, David, you know, one who did inquire of God, one who did pray to God with an open heart, one who obeyed God most of the time. And we know he slips again, but and one generally because he let God be the king, be the ultimate king. He slips sometimes, but overall, his king was God. And you can see that from from reading the Psalms, as I said before. I'll just leave the last word. Rudyard Kipling actually wrote a poem about uh, this story as well. It's six verses long. I'll just give you the last verse. It says, Oh, the road to Endor is the oldest road and the craziest road of all. Straight it runs to the witch's abode, as it did in the days of Saul. And nothing has changed of the sorrow in store, for such as go down the road to Endor. Let's pray before we have uh, one final song. Father, thank you, thank you God, that you have put this story in the Bible. Thank you, it's a dark story, you know, it's troubling, um, and you know, it can't be dressed up as anything other than you know, a real disaster in Saul's life. And it's there for a reason, God. You know, we don't wanna go down the road that Saul went down. Just because we're not a king doesn't mean to say that we can't go down that road. And we've seen people going down that road, and it's sad, God. We do pray, God, that you know we're sobered by this, and as we look forward to you know David coming out of uh, the mess he's got himself into, and David becoming king, that we don't just completely put out of our heads what happened to Saul, and just take the warning seriously as we as we think about our lives. So, Praise things in the Son's name. Amen. Amen.